I'd like you to, to turn with me or follow on the screen uh, First Peter. Uh, I know uh, using digital devices is great and convenient, and um, uh, please do use them, but, but also uh, the, the paper version is pretty good too. And uh, it does give you the benefit of knowing kind of where in the, the broad picture of the story we are. Uh, so First Peter is towards the end uh, of the New Testament. That's uh, just uh, after James and um, Hebrews, uh, in case you want to cite it. And it's um, kind of just helpful sometimes to, to understand where and uh, it fits in in the big thing. So uh, I'm going to be focusing on verse 13 and following, but I want us to, to read from verse 3. Uh, because as you notice, the beginning of verse 13 has this big, wonderful word, therefore. And uh, to launch into the, the passage in verse 13... With a therefore, without kind of considering what it's there for, um, it's easy, isn't it? Um, would be having to kind of cover it anyway. So, praise be to God the Father, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, from the, Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Amazing, hey? If we're Africa, we go, Amen. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Sunday afternoon, I had Sunday lunch and a glass of wine. With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed 
from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. The lamb without, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, that you so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Amen. Amen. This um, sermon in our series in First Peter. The series is calling Standing Firm or Standing Strong in the Storms. For Peter, there was, uh, and the, the early church, there were lots of storms and trials. In fact, the wind was beginning to blow stronger. The temperature of opposition getting hotter and becoming uncomfortable to be people who profess faith. And this letter has been, uh, and is still, one of those uh, wonderful, uh, really encouraging, profound, practical, insightful letters written by Peter to the church, the elect, the exiles scattered around the provinces of the kind of uh, western, eastern Mediterranean. He urges them to stand firm. Therefore, I've called this um, this message, or it's kind of uh, revolving around the theme of holiness. Be holy. You heard it uh, as I, I read to you in verse uh, sixteen. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, "Be holy." Because I am holy. And uh, if you're anything like me, we don't often hear holiness sermons so often anymore, at least in the orbit that I hear. They were very common in centuries past, but not so common. We hear many, many sermons, many, many messages in many ways, wonderful godly messages. But for Peter, in view of all that Jesus is, in view of all that God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, in coming and redeeming and rescuing, in reconciling, in, in the wonder, it says, praise be to the God and Father of, of Jesus Christ for what he has done, giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. He comes to this great therefore. And not at this place. Does he say, therefore, be great missionaries? He doesn't say, therefore, uh, be great witnesses. He doesn't say, therefore, be great this and that. He says, therefore, with your minds that are alert and fully sober. In other words, thoughtful, 
having considered this, not at a whim, not at a, a kind of the drop of a hat, set your hope on the grace brought to you when, you're, uh, when Jesus Christ is revealed as his coming. And as obedient children, Sam, thank you for sharing your uh, story. Talking about listening to the Spirit and stepping out in obedience. Be holy. See, that's one of the big challenges of our, our day, to be holy. Some research was done in, in the United States of, of America uh, through uh, an organization called the, uh, the Barna Foundation, I think it was, the Barna Survey, and it surveyed evangelicals. And uh, it's probably paralleled in the UK, although they didn't survey. But the results found about the Christian church, the evangelical Christian church in the United States, I'm not just saying this because Shannon's here, they discovered after surveying the church that there was very little difference between the church and the world in terms of lifestyle, in terms of values, in terms of the use of money, of morality or immorality, of how often those who professed faith would engage in affairs, the divorce rate paralleling and matching that of non-churchgoers. Be holy is a call to the follower of Jesus. Dallas Willard, who died recently, described that what we profess and practice much must match. In the midst of, of Peter's teaching, he says it is of paramount importance. Be holy. In, uh, in church history, one of the, the, the ways that, that the church has responded to that, believers like you and, and I, not an institution, in, in this challenge to be holy, it, it, it hears that teaching of Jesus, be in the world but not of it. And, and we really struggle that with that. How do we live as professed Christians in the world but not of it? In other words, how do we live the holy life when all around us it isn't? And for some, they kind of go to the, to the thing of, of well, let's, let's, let's engage with the world and let's make the gap between that which God calls us to and that which where we find the world at, let's make that gap as minimal as possible in order to be relevant and in order to make connections and build relationships and prevent people from feeling judged. All very worthwhile. But sometimes that has led to the identity and the character and the nature of that which we profess and practice being a mirror of the world rather than a mirror of Jesus. The other extreme that, that the church has, has often opted to because the world is messed up, isn't it? It's painful and it's broken. And uh, we find that those out there, I mean, those, oh, I don't need to na label or name, with all sorts of of ideologies and views on how this world should be. It's just too difficult. So the other way that the that, that faith communities and, and the Jewish faith and, and the Christian uh, faith over church history has been to step back, to step away from 
to separate out kind of carried sometimes in the, the understanding of what holiest night means to say to be holy is to be separate. Therefore, if we separate ourselves, if we rather than drawing closer to the world, we step away from the world, we put a greater gap there, then people will see to be Christ-like. And we end up sometimes in church history of making more of a moat than a bridge. So whether in the Jewish faith, there was the, the Qumran community that they, they, they recognized that it, the, the Jewish people at the time in and around the, the first century BC, AD, was kind of corrupt. And they thought, well, if only we could make ourselves holy. It's a godly principle. We can step aside. We can form our own community and we can, we can be holy huddled together. And we can honor God together without being tainted or sullied. And so out of the Qumran community, a holiness sect. They withdrew themselves to the desert places and lived in the cave and died out. Through church history, it's happened in different ways from the ascetic movement of of the early church where you'd find kind of wise, well, maybe wise, but people would set themselves up. The hermits, you heard of them? Not the hermit crabs, nor Herman and the hermits, but uh, that's a reference to the 60s. Or 50s, uh, 60s. Thank you, thank you, Hazel. Uh, but the hermits who would live in caves, and some of them on top of pillars, and would would seek to be so devoted to God, just God and themselves, and deny everything of this world in order to be holy. Or the monastic community who would leave their family and communities and gather together to pray and to be devoted to God in wonderful kind of community with like-minded. And, and out of that has stemmed many things, the preservation of faith in the dark ages and, and a real deep commitment to prayer and learning and worship and, uh, and to, to make lots of beer and cider, it seems, and spirits for some of them, but uh, the Benedictines and, and all that. But it's meant that so often those monks, nuns, Deeply respected, but not engaging. Doesn't seem to be what Peter is driving at. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written... Be holy because I am holy. A number of years ago, I, I read through uh, Spurgeon's autobiography, well, part one, which is about 600 pages. It was beach reading, believe it or not. It's great. And I was there uh, underneath my parasol, my beach umbrella, not wanting to get frazzled, with a pencil and a book. Uh, and one of the things I noted was this. He said, there is nothing like faith in the sinner's friend. It overcomes all evil. This is the early years. This is something he learned early on. If Christ has died for me, ungodly as I am, without strength as I am, then I cannot live in sin any longer, but must arouse myself to love and serve him who hath redeemed me. I cannot trifle with the evil which slew my best friend. I must be holy for his sake. How can I live in sin? when he has died to save me from it. Be holy. The church, understandably, and the world 
has heard and expects us to have at least a semblance of Christ-likeness. We're not just moral agents who spout forth good platitudes, but we are called to be prophetic and challenge worlds that is godless and in darkness. And as such, when the church reflect, when the world reflects upon the body of Christ, us, and the church at large, world more widely, it does expect us to reflect something of Jesus Christ. A Guardian writer recently said, "If, as an institution, meaning the church, you insist on laying down moral lines to the nation, it helps if you don't constantly ignore them." The world is watching. And so into the midst of our life, we're called to be holy, to be a holy people because he is holy. This call isn't just for Peter. This is a clarion call that comes all the way through Scripture. If you've ever had the joy of, of starting the Bible in a year or you've you kind of worked through the wonderful stories of Genesis and thought, wow, and then you burst into Exodus and you get all the uh, the the, the judgments and plagues and Pharaoh and frogs and gnats and, uh, and all those. I mean, they're kind of horrific too. But of staffs and, and the great work of God. And, and you're like, whoa, this is really exciting. And then it gets a bit bogged down. But then there's a mountain and all sorts of wonderful things like the Ten Commandments. And then you get to Leviticus. I actually quite live, like Leviticus, believe it or not. There's other ones that I find less um, enjoyable in the Bible. That's not something I shouldn't say, uh, but I actually kind of enjoy Leviticus. And, and on this theme, the whole book, Leviticus, is geared towards this very thing, how to be a holy people, how to live in the midst of the promised land, surrounded by the godless and the worshippers of idols and the, and the faithless and those who have nothing to do with the, the calling and being raised up as the people of God. How do you live in that culture? How do you live a holy life, not just in worship, but business? How do you live a holy life, not just in, in your private inner life, but as a family? How do we do it? And it goes into extraordinary detail. And even to do with the very threads of the clothes that you wear. I'm not saying that we just lift Leviticus and apply it into today's context. Of course, we need to lens everything through Jesus Christ. But interestingly, in this very passage, Peter quotes, Be holy because I am holy. Fascinating. Why does it matter? Well, we're called to be a people who reflect God, who reflect Jesus Christ, who represent him in deeds and life and words. Our character and nature and attitude conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Have any of you watched Chernobyl? It was, um, I think it was ITV, but it's, it's a, a mini-series. It's, it's really good. It's a little bit horrific as the reactor exploding was. One of the things I, I noticed in that, that there was great danger. The reactor was bare and churning up. Uh, 
radioactive material into the atmosphere. And they began to recognize this isn't a good thing. It was more serious than they thought. They began to seek to try to repair the reactor. Uh, And I won't spoil the story, but we know that they were successful. I'm not spoiling that. Uh, We know that Chernobyl was capped. But it took a huge effort from a huge number of people who didn't understand how dangerous radiation was. And the story charts what happened from that moment when it exploded to how the situation was just brought back from a horrific calamity that would have affected all of Europe. But charts the story of those who seemed initially fine, who flew helicopters and who threw rocks and managed to pour concrete. There was a huge cost within a couple of horrific deaths because they didn't have proper protection. For Peter, and indeed for so much of Scripture, holiness isn't an optional extra. It's not something for the super-Christian, but for all of us. Not, not something to beat ourselves with a stick with, but recognizing the reality that he has rescued us out of death and sin and darkness and into light and life and hope and fullness of life. And he says, by continuing to live like you used to and not now who you are in Christ, is like continually exposing ourselves to this nuclear radiation. It's like seeking to live life without proper protection and it becomes deadly. And it's often not in the moment that we see the effect of the infection. But over time as we absorb and imbibe and continue to be in the climate of the radioactive, seeks to work its poison and taint and destroy. Be holy. Be holy. Now, for a long time, whenever I've uh, I've dwelt upon these uh, things, I've always heard the phrase, be holy, as kind of like this great imperative to just grit my teeth and try harder. Come on, Edward, be holy. Be brave. Be courageous. Be better at exercise. You know what I mean? It's like, try harder. It's like that report card. Come on, do better. And I guess there is that sense of being exhorted and being encouraged. But if we just hear that, we've, we've missed the heart of this. And it's to do with the word therefore. As I did read just before I began. Therefore. In light of what Christ has done, what Jesus has accomplished through his living and death and resurrection, it is now not be holy, but be holy. That he has transformed us from the inside out. That he has changed our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He has made us alive in Christ, no longer dead in Christ. Amen? In other words, holiness is not something like a holy grail or the crock of gold at the end of a rainbow that we we kind of journey to and hope one day and it just keeps eluding us, slipping through our fingers. 
But actually, holiness now is the state of play upon which and in which we are living. In him, we are in Christ. Is Christ holy? Correct answer. So now, be holy is to do with living. We are in him. And as such, this is the natural place of who we are, though we still struggle. But now, be holy. Live holy lives. Be that which we are now born into. Born again. Renewed into. Reborn into. Isn't that great? Now, as I've I've reflected on this, and I thought, that's a lovely ideal. But when I reflect on myself, I go, really? But be holy. Be holy because we are witnessing in the world, but be holy because we are Christ's and his alone. Be holy. He's called us to be holy. But it's to do with the therefore. Let me explain it like this. If we could be holy on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. Do you know that? If we could be holy on our own, why the need of a saviour? There wouldn't be one. If we could be holy on our own, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit, would we? Think about that. Why did Jesus say, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit? Lots of reasons. But actually, he is the one who enables us to do this, to do everything of the Christian life. Because we now live in faith through his great empowerment. It's because of him, the therefore. If we could be holy on our own, we wouldn't need our brothers and sisters in the church. Why does he partly call us together? It's to encourage each other whilst it's called today. To champion each other in discipleship. To walk with each other. And say, come on sister, brother, you can do this. Don't give up. Stand firm, stand strong, even in the trials and the suffering. Carry on, persevere, being holy. And if we could be holy on our own, we wouldn't have needed Jesus, nor he wouldn't have given us the Lord's Supper to be fed and strengthened. God makes us holy. You see, Christianity is radical not because of our grit and determination, but but because of his grace. Did you hear it? Set our hope on the grace to you brought when Jesus Christ comes. Holiness in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why he's called the Holy Spirit? Because he's God. That's the first answer. But we still talk of him as the Holy Spirit. The one who says, Lord, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come within us. Part of the very act of being regenerated. The Holy Spirit comes within us. And this is part of his great purposes to help us be holy. Because he's the Holy Spirit. As we pray more of him, we're also praying praying more of his likeness. And this is the challenge for us as believers. And this is the challenge for the early church, as Peter writes, when, when they're all watching and seeing that as they follow Jesus, it sets them apart. That God doesn't expect the world to be holy. Why? Because sin is sin. And why, as I just explained, because without grace, it just can't happen. It can't be achieved. And the world is broken. 
but I can't underline this clearly enough. God does expect the church to be holy, you and I, to be holy, to be his. Saints that are sanctified. Paul describes it of being transformed from one degree of glory into the next. I was listening to some radio recently and they were reflecting on the Puritans. You heard of them? And it's really interesting how there's a little bit of a sneering about the Puritans in our culture. Those religious do-gooders. And yet, as I thought about that, I thought, actually, the Puritans really brought some massive change to our nation. They challenged the gin dens, and they, they, they challenged uh, the, the, the debauchery of, of many places that, that they're credited, probably, for the Wesleyan revival and others for preventing a civil war and a revolution, sorry, a revolution happening in Great Britain, whereas across the Channel, they didn't have that, and there was a great deal of bloodshed. The Puritans who lived and were characterized as the holiness movement. Fascinating that Christians, not as a legalistic tendency, but as a devotion to God, brought massive transformation in our society. Interesting. They're somewhat mocked in our current day. I just wonder, I just wonder how our witness would change. And this isn't the arm twist, this isn't the guilt laden. I wonder how our witness, our witness, church, us, you and I, would change as the quality and the content and the Christ-likeness of our walk with Jesus grows. You know, Jesus was the holiest person, human being, this world has ever seen. Sinless. In his humanity, and of course in his divinity. But he was the most effective one at drawing the world to himself. I mean, I know they rejected him at the cross. But in his life and ministry, people were drawn to him. He didn't separate himself out. He wasn't uh, a religious kind of uh, Pharisee who would uh, just kind of look down his nose or cross the street to the other side. He was in the thick of it. He was entirely in the world, but not of it. And the most attractive human being ever. Powerful in holiness. So holiness is looking like Jesus, and Peter says it's so, so important. It's our commitment to be holy, not just in public on the Sunday, on the gathered, but at home. Mums and dads, grandparents, how would your children describe you? Would holiness be in their list? Holy be in their list of how they describe you? Probably not me either, but it's an intention. Our commitment to Jesus in the home, in the public, and the private. Someone, uh, a guy called Thomas Paine, said, Reputation is what people think of us. Character is what God and the angels know of us. That's fascinating. So just a couple of things as we come to the table. Make a decision. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, therefore, 
Make a decision. Make a choice. Renew a choice and a commitment about him. As Spurgeon did when he said, how can I live in sin when he has died to save me from it? My best friend that I slew, now I must live. Keep making that decision. Even if it seems to be through the day. Even if it's kind of like I've fallen but I choose again. I've messed up but now I choose afresh. Do not give in in the battle of mind. Secondly, to be prayerful. A number of commentators have have declared that this is is really, really important in this journey. William Carey, that wonderful godly man who was perseverant uh, and a missioner to India. He said, prayer, secret Fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. We need Christ for this. It's not just try harder. He said, too, if we are unwilling to change, if we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a a noticeable characteristic of our lives. If we become settled, if we become Settled in who we are, prayer evaporates. But prayer, when we recognize nothing short of the continued work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, will lead us to fervent prayer. Lord, change me. I'm not settling for who I am in the present, but I want to become all you have purposed me to be. Also of Scripture. It's really interesting that this has been recorded for us. The way that God makes us holy through the Holy Spirit, he also gives us the book. It helps when we read it. It helps when we practice what it says. We are obedient to what he asks. When we ask the holiness expert, the Holy Spirit, to come and fill us afresh and to show us how to do every little thing, moment by moment. What is the leading edge? What is the battle? What is the work, the thing that God is working at right now in my life? One step at a time. Lord, transform me. Lord, change me. And believe it or not, it also matters that we keep on being together. Being in family, being in fellowship, being in worship with believers. Not superficially, not high by unfine things. Contending for each other in the battle that rages to be holy. To be holy. I do believe that as the Lord works in us, as we stand for him, begin to shine even brighter. Let's pray.